You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and solid TV and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. Note, we are not real therapists, but we sometimes watch therapists on TV. I watch mine on my phone. So, Kristen, (laughs) shall we get to this week's letters? Yes, let's get to it. Our first letter is from Roy. And Roy, I want to tell you, you are not the only person who wrote in with this letter this past week. We got a few different versions of it. So um, <laughs> let me just get to it. Dear Rafer and Kristen, my only daughter has gone off to college and I am not handling it gracefully. I think I need a heartwarming father-daughter movie so I can just cry it out. Please help. Roy, that's a short and sweet letter right there. It really that's is. A, that's a letter from a guy who is Definitely going through something. (laughs) Yes, I will say, Roy, your letter is the briefest of all of them that came in. Some of them were full of a lot of details. And I just thought it would be fun to have a nice, short, sweet letter. So that's why we have your letter this week. Um, Rafer, you don't have to suffer from empty nest syndrome for a long, long time. But I know sometimes you wish you could. Well, that's that's totally true. Although, you know, as as other parents always tell me, be careful what you wish for on that front. Um, Yeah, I mean, my oldest is 12. So we've got a ways to go. But I will tell you, you know, he's um, he's already getting big and he's already growing. And I already have this feeling like, oh, my God, the clock is really ticking. It's it's really not that long from now before he's going to be out of here, you know. Yeah, he's two-thirds of the way through his time with you. Oh, I know. And that's uh, that's that's intense. And and my wife, of course, cries about this frequently. And I cry about this <laughs> less so, but I will tell you, it is really often on my mind. So, Roy, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there, and I can sort of, I can... I can see the I can see the heartache. I can I can see it coming. So I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of with you. Yeah, but Roy, I do want to just jump in here and say something. A lot of my friends whose uh, kids have gone off to college are finding their kids returning because of COVID. And I don't want to say that yes. this is like a bright spot, but so many colleges have shut down, or as soon as they opened, they're like, "Oh, maybe we're not doing this." You know. 
yet another one in the State University of New York system just announced that today that they're, you know, canceling all classes after about 400 cases. Uh, This is happening every day. So I I really don't want to treat this like a bright spot in your life, Roy, but maybe just something to keep in mind as you go through all of your feelings. We don't know what's going to happen day to day during this pandemic or week to week or month to month. So yeah, it may just be a roller coaster of feelings for a while for you, Roy, and for everybody else who is feeling what you're feeling right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I was in the in the barber the other day for my first pandemic haircut, uh, a professional one. <laughs> and, you know, old older, older gentleman sitting in the chair before me and we started talking about our kids and he said exactly what you're saying. He said, they never leave. They always come back. He, got, he goes, I got, I, got, I got one that's 30. He's still living in my house. I thought, all right, there you go. There you go. That's the, that's the flip side. Yes. So, Kristen, what's, uh, what's your recommendation for, uh, for Roy? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that flip side because that's exactly what I am prescribing. Okay. A show, not a movie, that explores the flip side. The show is called Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Ah, yes. It airs on both Comedy Central and HBO Max. And in this series, Aquafina plays a semi-employed 27-year-old still living at home with her dad. Her dad is played by B.D. Wong, who's terrific. Of course. And her grandma, played by Lori Tan Chin, who I didn't know who she was before, but she's terrific also. They live in Elmhurst, Queens. And Aquafina clearly should have left the nest a long time ago, but she just hasn't quite figured out how to be an adult. Uh, much to the exasperation of her dad and her grandma. And her dad is so fed up that he joins a support group for single parents, even <laughs> though everyone else in the support group has toddlers and grade schoolers. He just never oh, mentions that his daughter oh, is 27. Good. Oh, that's funny. And I got to say, though, despite all the frustration, there's genuine love and a deep sense of understanding between the father and daughter here. After all, dad himself He also still lives at home with his parent, if you think about it. He lives with his mom. Right. Here's a clip. Your mother was in labor for like 37 hours. You clung onto her uterus like the thing. It was so gross, man. I threw up on the nurse. Ew. You know, the baby comes out. It's not all clean. There's all this stuff all over it. It looks like the inside of a Pop-Tart. And and, and then then she comes up to me. Do you want to cut the cord, sir? I said, holy shit. No, I don't want to cut the cord. You cut the Cord. Is there a point? Is this going somewhere? You know what? It's a few years later, right? And you're still hanging on. Sometimes you you make a big move because you think you're supposed to. And sometimes you make a big move because you're really ready to make a big move. But, you know, I'm always here. Thanks, Dad. Now, Roy, I am recommending this for three reasons. One, I think you're going to love the interactions between father and daughter, which ring very true in both the affection and in the frustration between them, because there's a special kind of rapport, I think, that adults have with their kids. It's not the same as like if I recommended a movie like To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, here's an eight-year-old and her dad. And I didn't want to recommend that kind of movie. I wanted to recommend something where the characters are a little closer to the ages that you're dealing with. So I think you'll find that uh, the relationship really rings true between the father and daughter. Number two, I'm recommending this because I think you'll be grateful thinking about how your daughter is not 27 and living at home with you 
in her childhood bedroom. I think you'll be very happy when you watch the show. Aquafina being stoned all the time, not really cleaning her room, <laughs> doing all sorts of frustrating things. You'll think, God, really glad my daughter's not Aquafina. Now, three, this is very important, Roy. I'm recommending this because the show has the dad becoming more his own person as his daughter works on becoming a more responsible grown-up. And I, I really want you to think about this, Roy, because now might be a really special time of growth for you, where you can explore new parts of yourself, where you can meet new friends. Maybe you can have a different kind of romantic life, whether you are with somebody now or whether you want to seek out romance with somebody new, whatever it is. But now is an incredible opportunity for you to explore new things, too. This isn't just about you being left behind. This is you being given a new opportunity. And I know this isn't what you asked for. I know you wanted a, a movie that's a tearjerker, a father-daughter movie that just lets you just cry it out. But I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you this because I think it's going to give you what you need a little bit more. One last thing I want to say about this. The supporting cast is also terrific. Bowen Yang from SNL, Laverne Cox, Jennifer Esposito. Oh, yeah. Both the cast and the supporting cast. Everyone's terrific. Everyone's funny. But Rafer, I am curious about what you're going to prescribe. Um, I'm sure it's very different than my prescription. It's it's different, but not that much. Um, it's uh, it's maybe um, it's the it's the opposite side of the coin. Um, and this is, I think, more along the lines of the uh, kind of tearjerker that uh, Roy, our listener, was asking for. I'm recommending a movie from 2018 called Hearts Beat Loud. Have you seen this, Kristen? Oh my gosh, I haven't seen it, but the cast, I know the cast is terrific in it. Yes, that's right. And um, it's its headed up by Nick Offerman. That's right. Who, I, I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, Rafer, we were at the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. Yes. And something happened. Somebody just, I was suddenly standing next to someone and my heart stopped beating. And I was like, what is this sex energy coming off this man? And it was Nick Offerman. Do you remember that? I was like, something just happened to me. I was in the presence of Nick Offerman and something happened. I don't know what it was. Oh, that's and great. he was somebody I'd never, I'd never had feelings about Nick Offerman before then. But I was like, what is happening here? I love it. Wow. Nick Offerman. I love Sorry, that. I just derailed the whole conversation. Let's go back to in the best possible way. Why you're recommending? No, that's it. that's terrific. That's, <laughs> oh, that's I mean, well, he is a you know he's a he's a in some he's he's funny because he's in some ways a very traditional kind of masculine looking guy from almost a different era. You know, he's 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 sort of broadly built mm -hmm. and and muscular. He's got a mustache, um, and he seems to be kind of making fun of himself, but also very serious. At the, you know, totally in earnest at the same time. Um, so you know, I can see it. He's a carpenter. He's good with his hands. You know that about Nick Offerman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so all right. So good with his hands. There you go. <laughs> okay. Easy little filly. All right. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so so I'll tell you uh, I'll tell you Kristen, I'll tell Roy a little bit about this movie. Um Nick Offerman uh, is the star. He, he's a classic Gen X dad. His name is Frank. Um, he lives with his daughter, Samantha, played by Kiersey Clemens. The mother in this family uh, died in an accident several years ago. They live in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and Frank runs a record store there, which, as you probably guess, is doing badly. And meanwhile, Samantha is about to go off to college, and she's going to study pre-med. So dad and daughter are both musicians, and one night she writes a little song called Hearts Beat Loud. Uh, Frank thinks it's great. He puts it on Spotify. It goes viral. It's a success. 
They got a call from a little record label that wants to sign them. And the next thing you know, this father and daughter team might just be on the verge of a real bona fide musical career. Here's a clip. Let's do it again. I don't know what it is. I can't make my heart feel like When did you write this? Earlier today. You can't make your heart feel like what? I don't know. Well, try and think about it. You can't make your heart feel like what? Full, I guess. Like some of it's missing. You know, it, it wasn't a big box office hit at all, but um, it was such a critical hit that you'd think everyone in the United States had seen it um, because critics just went crazy over it. Everyone I know who's seen it really loved it. I, I recommend it to Roy for the obvious reasons. I mean, it really reflects exactly kind of what he's about to go through. And what I liked about the movie that was so interesting and so well done is that, you know, initially it seems like Frank is this kind of typical dad who's projecting his dreams of failed stardom onto his daughter and trying to, you know, grab the last vestiges of youth. You know, he's 50 something and, you know, this could be the last chance he gets to, you know, <laughs> and that could that could work. Right. Me and the, the daughter's young and I'm the old guy. Maybe people think that's kind of cool and interesting and we could go on tour in the van. And so you think that it's a that it's a, a projection thing. You know, he's going to mold his daughter to be the thing that he wanted to be. But gradually you realize that's really actually not it. It's it's he doesn't really think he's going to be a pop star at the age of 50. He's just trying to keep her close. He just he's just trying to figure out a way to stay with her. And of course, if they start a band. They could be together all the time. Right. And and it's just a it's a beautifully done movie that way. And it's in its very small scale, very low budget. It was all shot in Red Hook, Brooklyn. And it's just really truthful. The performances are great. Um, like you were saying with, with the Aquafina series, um, this has got a great uh, supporting cast. Uh, Blythe Danner is Frank's mom and Tony Collette is Frank's mm -hmm. landlady. And um, one of the best characters is Ted Danson, who plays uh, kind of a tough love bartender that Frank is always going to for advice. And he never gets the advice that he wants to hear, but but... Ted Danson always gives him the advice he needs. And uh, and I love it. And it's just, it's a great movie. I think it'll, I think it'll squeeze more than a few tears out of you. So there you go. Oh, that sounds fantastic, Rafer. Yeah. So good. So once again, Roy, Rafer's recommendation is Hearts Beat Loud. That's the tearjerker you're asking for. And for me, Aquafina is Nora from Queens. This is the prescription you don't want, but I think it's the prescription you need. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, a gentle reminder that we love it when you rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. For example, Frenchie LaRue recently gave us five stars and wrote, I love the two hosts. They have the easy familiarity of old friends chit-chatting about movies and their lives. They sound like they're having a great time and you will smile along with them. Very fun and engaging, especially if you listen in the car with a friend and try to guess the movie prescription they offer. Ooh, I love that. I never thought about oh that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're like a game show for people, Rafer. Okay, but I get to be Richard Dawson. I love it. <laughs> 
I might have to reach out to iTunes and change the category we're in. Yeah. Oh, no, we're not in film and TV. We're in game shows. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you, Frenchie LaRue. That's a very nice letter. Yes, thank you so much. And everyone else, stay with us. When we're back, we have someone who's feeling intimidated by and jealous of her highly educated coworkers. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra themed content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. We are back with our second letter of the week. Rafer, I'll let you take it away. Yes, this letter is from someone who is asked to be called Education Envy. And she says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree that took me 12 years to get. I went to night school part-time while working a full-time job. I now work at a university with faculty, students, and co-workers who are brilliant. They are scientists and engineers, and the work they do is making all our lives better. I'm support staff. I just keep things organized and help students. Sometimes I'm so envious. I wish I could go back and do things differently or get a better degree. At the same time, I'm proud of my accomplishments because I wasn't supposed to go to college at all. I came from a blue-collar family, and getting my degree the way that I did still makes me feel blue-collar. Sometimes I don't understand what my coworkers are talking about. I don't want to feel envious or intimidated. I want to appreciate where I am right now and see my own value and worth. I know I'm lucky to work with really smart people and want to give my all, but I need to get out of my own way. Can you help? Oh, education envy. Yeah. First of all, I just want to say I feel your pain. It took me seven years to get my bachelor's degree. Did it? I was working 60 hours a week. Yeah. I had a full-time job and a part-time job. I was squeezing in my classes anytime I could at night, in the mornings, at lunch breaks. And oh boy, was I jealous of my friends whose parents paid for their college and who were able to finish in four or four and a half years. And none of them ever seemed to realize how lucky they had it. In my family, it was a huge deal, though. I mean, my sister and I are the first girls in our family to go to college. And, you know, when you're a first generation college student, it is sometimes going to take longer we who are first generation often don't know the ins and outs. I didn't know what a bursar's office was. I didn't know what <laughs> office hours were with a professor. I did not know so much of the language, much less how to navigate the system of a university when I was growing up. I think I've said it before, but Rafer, as you know, my mother worked retail her whole life. My nana yeah. did not graduate from her one-room school she went to. So all of this was very eye-opening, incredibly expensive, very time-consuming. And I also just want to point out to Education Envy, the path that you took and that I took is not atypical. In uh, public universities, it's incredibly common to take longer than four years. There are privileged few who can finish in four years. 
most people don't finish in four years in public universities. So I just, I want to throw that out there for you and let you know you're not alone. A lot of us are like you. And your colleagues who uh, were students and then went straight to being faculty or being professors or whatnot, they're the outliers. They're not the norm. They're unusual. So that's a good point. You're pretty typical. And I mean that in a good way. What about you, Rafer? Yeah, I'd say the same thing. I mean, I went to, I'm trying to think of how long, if you total it all up, it would have taken. And probably, I don't know if it was seven, but I bet it's getting pretty close because I did a pretty long stint at City College. And then mm -hmm. I went to university and then I was uh, having such a great time. I dragged my heels and uh, tried <laughs> to stay in for as long as I could. Um, so I, so I, I think I wound up, you know, but I, God, I must have been at City College for a good two and a half years. And I love City College. Every time I go back home, uh, Long Beach City College, folks, Southern California, every time I go back home, uh, I make sure to stop in the student store and, and, uh, and get another T-shirt because I just I love wearing my City College T-shirts around. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, you know, don't don't. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with Kristen. Do not do not feel like uh, like you're alone. Or that it's anything anything to be ashamed of. You know, I'm very I'm very proud of my education. I'm 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 proud that I went to City College. What can I tell you? It was a great education. I loved it. Yeah, nothing to be ashamed of. And some of the most successful people in the world. I mean, look, Rafer is a member of the New York Film Critics Circle, one of the most prestigious, smallest <laughs> clubs in the world. And it took him years to get through college. That's right. And me, I've written multiple books. I'm regularly on TV and on the radio. And it took me forever. And it's fine. And clearly, Education Envy, you're going to do fine. You're already doing fine. Totally. Totally. I agree. Now, Rafer, I am curious, what are we going to prescribe Education Envy, though? And I want you to start this time. Okay. I'm going to go just a, just slightly off tack here, but I, I, I think I'm on the right track. I'm going to recommend Gosford Park from 2001. The Robert Altman film. Starring Ryan Phillippe. That's exactly right. Why did you pick him out of the cast? Oh, there's Maggie Smith. There's Richard E. Grant. Kristen picks Ryan Phillippe. I know. I know. Why bring up Maggie Smith when you can just bring up Reese Witherspoon's ex-husband? You went right to the weak spot, didn't you? Okay, Kristen. Um, you know what? He's actually kind of good in that movie. Uh, yes, he's in it. Um, uh, so I, if, if you don't, I'm sure everyone sort of must remember this or at least know about it. But just to recap, it's probably the most mainstream film Robert Altman ever did. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a period piece costume drama whodunit. Uh, one little funny thing I like about it is that it was kind of the brainchild of Bob Balaban. Do you know that actor with the spectacles? He's been in like oh, 3000 yeah. movies. He's in all the Christopher Guest yeah. improv comedies. OK, it was his it was his idea kind of to come up with this sort of thing. And he and uh, and Robert Altman kind of took it and ran with it. And then they got the screenplay by Julian Fellows, who would try to make a television spinoff of it. And when that didn't work, he wrote a little show called Downton Abbey. Never heard of it. <laughs> Just kidding. Got, never heard of it. <laughs> That's the background on Gosford Park. Um, it's set in 1932. You know, again, it's in a country estate. You've got all the usual lords and ladies, all their servants and valets, and a couple of other people who don't quite belong. Uh, Bob Balaban plays an American film producer who the English people consider kind of glamorous and exciting, but they also consider him kind of crass and gross. Um, so here's a little, a little meta moment from, uh, from Gosford Park. Mr. Weissman. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tell us about the film you're going to make. Oh, sure. It's called Charlie Chan in London. It's a detective story. Set in London. 
Well, not really. Uh, most of it takes place at a uh, shooting party in a country house, sort of like this one, actually. Uh, murder in the middle of the night, a lot of guests for the weekend, everyone's a suspect, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Horrid. Rafer, I have to confess, I'm somebody who never saw Gosford Park. Oh, wow. Even though everybody told me it would be right up my alley because I love a costume drama. Oh, yeah. I love everything about this kind of movie, but for some reason, I've just never seen it. Well, I think you'd love it. Um, and here is why I recommend it to our, our listener, to Education Envy. I think if you dig down into that letter, I think what you're talking about is not so much education, but class. I think what you're, I think what's bothering you is, is this feeling of, of class, of class inferiority, of class superiority. I think maybe you have this idea that there are, uh, it's not an unrealistic idea that there are layers of social strata out there. You know, the smarty pants are at the top and the regular old workers are somewhere below them. And I understand that, you know, that's, that's a lot of how society is, but you know, these people, these brilliant scientists and students, these people also need you, and they need you the way all the lords and ladies of Gosford Park need their attendance and need the people who wait on them. Um, I think one thing about this movie, and one thing certainly about Downton Abbey, is this question really of, like, who's really serving a function here? Who's, who, who's the person that the world actually can't do without? You know, there's, there's, there's more than one scene in, in, Goth, in Gosford Park that suggests that all these wealthy people might almost literally starve if there weren't someone around to bring them their food. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I don't know, I don't know education envy. I don't know exactly what kind of work that you do, but I would bet even money that you're performing a very valuable function and all these people would be lost without you. And so I guess I would, I would, I maybe would ask you two questions. One is, are these feelings that you have, are these kind of coming from inside you or are they coming from the people that you're around? If they're coming from the people you're around, get the hell out of there because who needs that? Mm -hmm. But if they're coming from inside you, that's kind of something to think about. And I think Gosford Park is probably a good, it's a fun, entertaining, kind of light way to mull over some of these problematic issues that are bothering you. Oh, that's a great prescription. And I love that whole idea of would these people survive? Like, they can't even get dressed without someone helping them. I mean, come <laughs> on. Exactly right. You can't put on your own freaking shirt without somebody buttoning it for you. You're going to be useless. That's right. In the dark times, you're going to be screwed. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They're going to be the first to go in the pandemic. Yes. They uh, are. Yeah. So there we go. So, uh, so Christian, what about you? What's your prescription? I am prescribing a little movie from 1988 that I like to watch every few years because it just it just makes me feel pumped. I stand up and cheer. It's called Working Girl. Of course. Working Girl is a movie that I know you've seen before, Rafer. It is starring Melanie Griffith. She plays Tess, who is a support staffer. I think they may use the word secretary back then. Yep. Working for a big corporation in New York City. She gives her conniving boss, Catherine, played by Sigourney Weaver, a very potentially profitable business tip. But rather than bring Tess to the table, give her credit, Sigourney Weaver's character, Catherine, just steals the idea and runs with it. And the thing is, though, Catherine then winds up, after stealing that idea, in the hospital with an injured leg. And when that happens, Tess decides, I'm going to exact some revenge here. And she pretends to be her boss. 
Her blue-collar buddy, Cynthia, played by the hilarious Joan Cusack, repeatedly says, you can't get by with this ruse. You have to stay in your own lane. We're just uneducated blue-collar gals. We're not fancy like them. We just got to stay in our lane. But no, Tess isn't going to stay in her lane. Instead, she's going to move forward with the deal that she tried to start. And that also means dealing face-to-face with big players like Harrison Ford, who may be um, not just interested in business, but maybe um, some other kind of uh, naughty business, if you will, with Tess. Here's a clip. (laughs) You okay? Mm, I'm fine. I'm just fine. I took um, antihistamine before, and it just it's a nice little buzz. Wow. I didn't know they let bad girls into these things. Do I look like I don't belong here? No. Hmm. No, no. I'm sure you're a real ace at whatever it is that you do do. Damn straight. But how you look. I have a head for business and a bod for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? No. No. Kristen, isn't this the movie where Harrison Ford changes his shirt in the office and all the women are crowding around the window to watch him change his shirt? I think so. Although that also happens on Mad Men and other shows, too. But I I do think it happened in this as well. Ah, if it happened on Mad Men, I think it happened here. I could be wrong. It's been a very long time since I've seen Working Girl. But there is a movie out there where Harrison Ford is changing his shirt. (laughs) If Listeners, if I've got this wrong, you tell me. You tell me. But I think it might be Working Girl. (laughs) Well, he looks great in the movie. Joan Cusack looks terrific with her giant hair and all of her makeup. And yeah. Like the, the way they try to show class through hair, makeup, and clothing, they really right. <laughs> double down on it in this movie. Um, and I got to say, it is just a joyride. It is so fun to see Tess, who's considered the poor white trash, get up there and take her credit and do all she can. I don't want to give any spoilers on whether or not she gets away with it in the end. But it is just great cheering for her. It's great seeing how smart she is. It's great seeing that her hard work and her creativity have nothing to do with her education. It's just inside of her. It's just deep in her. And Education Envy, I know it's deep inside you, too. You don't have to have gotten your degree in four years to be a creative thinker. You don't have to get your degree in four years to come up with great ideas. You have it in you, too. You totally deserve to be where you are, and your coworkers are freaking lucky to have you. They are so lucky. And I want you to watch Working Girl and see how she takes pride in herself, in her ideas and her work, and maybe take a little bit of that and just put it in your own heart. I love it. I think that's a, I think that's a great recommendation. Here, here, Kristen. All right, just to recap... Our recommendations are from Kristen, Working Girl, and from me, Gosford Park. All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, are you in a predicament where you could use some questionable advice and a good TV or movie recommendation? Write to us at RaferAndKristen at gmail.com. You can be like Education MB and not use your real name. You can be like all the people who say their names are Emily if you want to. Use any name you want to. <laughs> Just remember, Frenchie LaRue is taken. Sorry, everybody. That's a good one. Boy, <laughs> you got you got beat on that one. Uh, also, you can use the contact form on our website, RaferAndKristen.com, or reach out to us on Twitter, at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer. 
When we're back, we have our What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. We're back with our What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. Kristen, take it away. This letter is from Darren. Darren says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm currently watching Lovecraft Country on HBO. It's a great show, full of suspense, excitement, monsters, period sets and costumes, beautiful people, great acting, and real explorations of racism in America. But here's the problem. It requires me to come back week after week for the next episode, and I am so impatient. I don't want to wait. What other shows can I watch in the six days a week that Lovecraft Country isn't on? Please tell me what to watch next. That's TV for you. They always parcel it out, don't they? <laughs> Rayford, do you remember when we were little kids growing up? It didn't matter if you wanted to watch Dukes of Hazard on Saturday. Too bad. It's only that's on right. on Friday night. That's what <laughs> that's, you get. That's right. <laughs> don't miss it because then it's just done. That was the end of that. Yeah. You're never going to have a chance to see it again. No. Unless you were an upper class family who had a VHS recorder or something insane, then you could maybe watch Dukes of Hazard. Oh, we weren't that fancy. We weren't those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're all kind of spoiled these days. We can watch whatever we want. Yeah. It's funny. There's, there's not much TV on, especially on um, streaming platforms that you can't just sort of suck all down at once, can you? No, but Darren, I think what you're feeling, a lot of us have felt with different shows. I know that, you know, Handmaid Tale does this every time they launch a season. They right. release three episodes, but then you have to wait week after week after week for the next ones. A lot of shows do that. Uh, Mrs. America, I think, did that also, where they released three or two in the beginning, and then you just had to keep waiting week after week after week. <laughs> they don't want us to binge it. I love how things go full circle. I've got an idea. What if we make people wait? It would build expectation. That's brilliant. Okay, so Kristen, uh, what do you say about, uh, what's, your, what's your recommendation for this? Well, first of all, Darren, I just want to tell you, I also think Lovecraft Country is fantastic. I think it's addictive. I also wish that it came out every single day. Um, the acting is terrific. Those uh, costumes from the 1950s are beautiful. And it is a very surprising show. You don't know what's going to happen next. Um, you don't know what's real and what's not. There's like this mix of spirits and witchcraft and monsters. But one thing I think is really interesting about the show, no matter how scary the supernatural things are, and they are really terrifying, none of them are as scary as real racism in America. And I think that's just a really interesting thing to think about whenever I watch the show. But I'm sorry, I'm going on and on. Darren, I am not answering your question of what to watch next. Um, it's interesting, though. It is. I, I, was, I was glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you haven't seen it yet, Rafer. I think when you watch it, you're going to love it. Though. No. You're going to love it. Um, so I am going to recommend Black Mirror, which I can't believe it's almost 10 years old. Sure. But it debuted in 2011. Uh, at the moment of this recording, it's currently all available on Netflix. It occasionally changes. We know how the streaming services work. Like maybe it's on Netflix this month. Maybe it's on Amazon Prime next month. But currently, Black Mirror is fully available on Netflix. If you're not familiar with it, it's a sci-fi anthology series. So every single episode is a different story. And some of the episodes are quite long, like feature-length, film-length. Some of them are like 90 minutes long. 
Um, and what I love about this show is it feels very true to life in its what if technology scenarios. Every episode is a different kind of what if technology scenario. Like, what if we could upload our souls from our aging bodies into alternate reality younger bodies? Yeah. What if we could play back all of our memories? That's a great one. That's a great episode. What if someone caught you doing something you're ashamed of online and then blackmailed you into doing horrible acts with the threat hanging over your head? If you don't do these terrible acts, I'm going to reveal you to the world. <laughs> It's it's Ooh. it's sometimes very very dark, oftentimes very dark. It's very dark. Yeah, but sometimes yeah. it's also quite funny and it's always fascinating to me at least in how close it comes to actually matching the reality of our world like oh that could totally happen. Yeah. At the same time, I also appreciate that the show explores issues like race, class, gender, sexual orientation and it does it in really surprising ways. Here's a clip. Memories can be subjective. They may not be totally accurate, and they're often emotional. I don't remember anything. It's a total blank. Picture what you saw. Did you see the vehicle that hit the pedestrian? I didn't see the actual crash. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? What does that do? This accesses your own memories of what happened. I don't care what you do in your own time. Private stuff is private stuff. Now, Rafer, I know you like this show too. Yes, I'm not. I'm not a, a, a regular watcher, but I've seen a handful of episodes, and I remember thinking they were all really well done. And um, like you, I remember thinking that what was interesting about it was it was set in uh, in what in what Spike Jones called the near future. Right. It's not not mm -hmm. the distant future. It's the near future. Uh, that's the, that's like the, next week. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> that's the term he used for her. That movie, her about um, uh, artificial intelligence that I always love so much. Um, and this is very much like that. You know, it, it when you people are walking around in, in you know, s space suits and, and, you know, crazy go go boots. And, you know, uh, it doesn't it doesn't look like 2001. It just looks like now everyone's dressed pretty much normally. But then as they talk and they pull a little gadget out or they say a little something, you realize. Oh, we don't we don't have that yet. It sounds like something we might have, but we don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, it's really well done. It's really clever that way. Yeah, I do like this series. Yeah, and they have a lot of interesting people who appear on the show. Gugu Mbatha-Ra, who's one of my favorite actors, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, even Miley Cyrus. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so many people have been on the that. show. Yeah, it's it, it's fascinating. Uh, who ends up on episodes. You you may never expect it, and suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, that's somebody who I love from superhero movies or whatnot. Right. <laughs> um, I do just want to give one warning, though, to uh, our writer here, Darren. Darren, please listen very carefully to me when I say, do not watch the very first episode, the season debut <laughs> of season one of this show. Do not watch it. You will have nightmares about it forever. I am so mad at myself that I watched it. I am convinced that on my deathbed, even as I am saying goodbye to this world, I will still have the imagery from that first episode in my head. And I wish I didn't. Don't watch the first episode. The one with the prime minister. Oh, God, Rafer, don't say it out loud. Ugh. Oh, Darren, you got to watch that Just one. Just thinking about it. It's terrible. Don't listen. You know the don't episode. Don't listen to her. You got to watch don't it. Don't watch that. Don't. No, that episode will haunt you forever. <laughs> Let, let's just not even think about it. Rafer, I want to hear what your prescription is for Darren here. <laughs> okay. Okay, Christian. All right, moving on. I'm going to recommend something um, 
a little more tame. It's a little, uh, it's from a different era, uh, but a, a series also that I think is also, it's also an, an anthology series like yours, Kristen. Mm. Um, but it's a series that I think is still suitably creepy and I think will work for you. Uh, it is the old Night Gallery from the late 60s, early 70s. It ran from 1969 to 1973. And everyone, of course, remembers The Twilight Zone, the classic show from the 50s. Of course. Love The Twilight Zone. Right. Rod Serling, you know, with his ever-present cigarette and his dark suit. Um, this was his other show that he started after The Twilight Zone went off the air in 1964. Um, you know, Sir, in the old, in the Twilight Zone, he would always kind of appear out of nowhere, like he was some kind of, uh, you know, disembodied uh, spirit or something, like, or like a Greek chorus, you know, and he'd say something ominous about the story you were about to see. And uh, <laughs> so he does a little bit something similar with Night Gallery. This time he's more of a, I don't know, like a gallery owner or some kind of cosmic art collector or something. And he, he shows up at the beginning of each show. He introduces us to three creepy, bizarre-looking paintings, and then each painting becomes a story. It's a great format. Here's Rod Serling doing his thing. Good evening, and welcome to Night Gallery, a potpourri of paintings slightly tilt and left of center. Don't be frightened. A collection of oils and still lifes that share one thing in common. You won't find them in the average salon or exhibition hall or art museum. Get out of here! We deal in paint, pigment, light and shadow, realism, surrealism, impressionism, and ghost stories. An interesting system like a chill, and then it grows like a cancer. These are not your ordinary canvases. You don't find Monet in a mausoleum or a Van Gogh in a graveyard. Is it a stare that gives me the chills? Is it really cool in here? Not quite real, the almost real, and the frankly and flagrantly unreal. This is some kind of trick. That's what we deal with here, the bizarre. The name of this place is the Night Gallery. Rafer, I have to confess, despite my love of the Twilight Zone, I I have never seen Night Gallery. Right. It's it was it was uh, a little, much more obscure. And I think one reason for that was it's it's much more of a horror themed show. It's much creepier, spookier, darker. Um, you know, one one thing I would say about this, Darren, you're you're watching Lovecraft Country, which is a show that's getting very topical. Um, and, you know, the Twilight Zone was very topical in its way. It did tackle things like race. It, it tackled a lot of things about the Cold War and uh, the nuclear bombs. And, of course, the whole space race at the time was, you know, very big and opened up all these horizons of what could be out there and what life means and who are we as people. Um, Night Gallery is not a topical show. That's it's not it's not going to. It's not going to hit that. It's not going to check that box for you, Darren. I just want to admit that to you. It's much more of a kind of a creepy, spooky, some supernatural stuff. Um, it, it it does have at least one episode that was written by H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's got, it has a whole, you know, just like um, Twilight Zone. It's got a whole mess of, you know, great classic sci-fi writers like um, Fritz Lieber and, and Conrad Aiken, who wrote Silent Snow, Secret oh, Snow. Oh, wow. And then... Um, yeah, and then of course Serling himself, who I think is one of the great um, sort of sci-fi horror chiller writers of the 20th century. I mean, you know, Serling was brilliant. Um, anyway, it's a great little show. It's got that great little that's that great 70s hokey uh, edge to it that I love. Uh, you know, Kristen was talking about. 
people like Bryce Dallas Howard and Miley Cyrus coming on the show. Uh, here you've got people like uh, Joan Crawford and Pat Boone. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, you know, and it's, it's TV, of course. It's, it's late. It's late 60s TV. So here's, uh, you know, the directing debut of Steven Spielberg. And here's, um, you know, a uh, young Diane Keaton playing a, a nurse who's taking care of this bitter old invalid. And here's Sally Field. And here's. You know, Leonard Nimoy directs one of the episodes. So you've got this. Oh, my gosh. It's that funny mix that they loved in the 70s of, of, you know, young hot stars and then kind of the old legends like Orson Welles is on it. You know, Phyllis Diller is on it. It's just this crazy mix of 70s people. Um, So it's a lot of fun. Like I say, I just want to be upfront. Not a topical show, but good, creepy, old fashioned, spooky fun that I bet you probably haven't seen. Oh, my gosh. What an incredible recommendation, Rafer. You've totally oh. sold me. I had no idea all those, like, megastars were involved with the show. I definitely need to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Hokey. Hokey and fun. <laughs> so once again, Darren, those recommendations are from Rafer, Night Gallery, and from me, Black Mirror. Boy, Kristen, we just sped to the end of another episode of Movie Therapy. Oh, saying goodbye is such sweet sorrow, but we'll be back again next week. And until then, please don't hesitate to reach out if you need some questionable advice and a solid movie or TV recommendation at RaferandKristen at gmail.com. And on our website, which is RaferandKristen.com. If you aren't already, please subscribe to the show. Maybe you just happened upon us. You know what? Don't just make it a coincidence next time. Hit that subscribe button. Yeah. And if you haven't already, please tell your friends about the show. Tell your horror lovers about the show. Tell your costume drama friends about the show. Tell all your friends about the show. It really does help a lot. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.